The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. You know, when we think of the Triple Crown of 200s, you're probably thinking Tahoe, Bigfoot and Moab. There is a triple crown of 200s right here on the Beast Coast, and they're the Hellhole Race, which is 212 miles, the Swamp Fox, 210 miles, and Frozen H3, which is 212 miles as well. The guest I have for you on this episode of the Adventure Jogger, a gentleman who has done them all in the span of one year. It was just last week that he finished the Frozen H3, last week as of the recording of this episode. Chris, Varnado from Walterboro, South Carolina, is on the Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Chris. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Now, I know a lot of people are going, wait a minute, there's a triple crown of 200-mile races in the Beast Coast? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that when, when someone reached out, because you were actually a requested guest, Chris, so like, you got to have Chris on. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. And yeah. When they said he did the triple crown of 200s, my my brain went to those races out west, the Candace races, but you did the triple crown right here in the Beast Coast. Can you give us a little, like, tell us a little bit about this this triple crown that that doesn't seem to get the, the publicity that the other triple crown gets? Yeah, I mean, this one, these are totally different. You know, these are through the Francis Marion Forest. There's no elevation change. Um, but it's not exactly runnable terrain. Yeah. Um, so even though there's no elevation, the terrain is still somewhat difficult. Um, all three of the 200s I ran um, had sections and I'm not talking about creek, creek crossings or anything like that. They had sections of water shindy for miles. Um, and because it's in the swamp, you have um, the frozen H3 and then hellhole H3. It's on the same exact trail. You just have one that's in June. Yeah. You have one that's in January. Yeah. Um, and it's on a horse trail. It's called a Jericho horse trail. It's on a 16 mile loop. And basically you run that. I had to run that loop 13 times. <laughs> Um, and the one in November, which is the Swamp Fox, it is 52 and a half miles out and 52 and a half miles back. And then you repeat. And so it's like I said, no elevation change, but it, it's just it's a lot of mud, a lot of water, a lot of roots, a lot of holes. Um, so, it, you know, it, it has its it has its moments where it can be very difficult. Okay, so before we get into the craziness of why you decided to do these races and what piqued your interest about them, what got you into the sport of ultra running, Chris? Well, I've only been running since the end of 2016. Okay. Um, before I started running, I well, before I started running, I got it. I was in the lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into lifting weights because I was 245, 250 pounds. Wow. Um, I started, I started having some health issues yeah so i went to the doctor and he said listen man you just you need to lose some weight yeah so i basically i went on a diet um and i started lifting weights and i dropped roughly 100 pounds wow continue lifting weights and i was actually lifting weights with a buddy of mine he said listen man he said we don't do any type of cardio 
he said, um, let's just go. Cause I live about two miles from a track. Yeah. I, he said, let's go to the track. Let's run a couple miles and then, you know, see how it goes. So we would go to the track two to three times a week and run two to three miles. And, you know, I absolutely hated it. It was not anything I desired. It, it just, it sucked. I mean, to be honest. Yeah. And then I decided, you know, it would be so much e- easier just for me to run from my house. So I started just doing out and backs, you know, I, I would add a half mile. And so I would get up to four miles and then on weekends I would do um, my longer runs, you know, I would do seven, eight miles and then out and backs. And then eventually I would keep adding a mile. And then I started getting 15, 16, 17, 18 miles, you know, and then I started following the ginger runner Yeah, on YouTube. And um, I had no idea that ultra running even existed. I thought, you know, man, I'm running 10 miles. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Right. Never, never knew anything like that existed. So I started following him and I seen, you know, he ran a hundred miles. I'm like, man, that's, that's insane. You know, yeah. that that's absolutely insane. Well, some of my family members were running a 200 mile relay. So they invited me to come run. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did. And I met a guy by the name of Chris Powell. And uh, he had on a pair of ultras. So did I. So we kind of connected. You yeah, know? I was like, yeah. okay. And, and he kind of, he's ran a 50K before. And so I started talking with him. And then he had actually invited me to run the hellhole at the time he offered a, um, a 60K. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I do. So I started training for the 60K and ended up getting injured. So I decided just to run the 16 mile. Mm-hmm. But from that point, just knowing that there was something, you know, that, that somebody could run a hundred miles, it, just, it blew my mind, you know? And so I, I figured one day, you know, one day I had to do it. And that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran my first ultra, which was, a, uh, I ran my first 50 K in January, 2018. And then my first 50 miler in May, early May of 2018. And then my first hundred miler, the beginning of June, 2018. So it was all kind of quick. Wow. And it was, it's just, I enjoy the long, the gritty, you know, grind it out. Yeah. The mental part of it. That's, that's what I really enjoy mm-hmm. about it. Being able to tough it out mentally. And, um, and then at the time when I first started running, my wife got pregnant. She, um, and then she, she didn't really have health issues, but we were told that we were going to lose our, our child. Yeah. And so at that time it helped me. And even though we didn't lose my child, it was up and down. It was one week. Okay. It's, it's probably not going to happen the next week. Okay. Everything's great. And then the next week it's not going to happen. So the, the running kind of helped me cope with that mentally and I could zone out so I really enjoyed the 10, 15, 20 mile runs at that time. Yeah. But like I say, it just, it grabbed me as far as the mental aspect of it. Absolutely enjoyed the mental part of it. That's an incredible string of events, Chris, when you think about, you know, a, a huge weight loss. I mean, going from 250 pounds to 150 pounds, that takes an incredible amount of of determination, I would say that's probably harder than any ultra you've ran, you've run. Sure, sure. And then, to- and, and you know, the whole weight loss thing at the time, I, I had a very physical job. Mm-hmm. I worked on a roof. I worked on a roof since I was 13. So I had a very physical job. And then going on the diet, 
I basically not knowing starved myself because I was burning so many calories on a roof. Yeah. Not take consuming enough calories. And then, so the weight loss, it, it happened very quickly. I mean, it was within, I would say five or six months. I mean, a hundred pounds. Just oh, wow. Hard. And, um, because, but energy levels were absolutely horrible. I mean, I would get off work and just couldn't hold my head up. Just extremely tired from not taking enough calories. Yeah. And so the whole weight loss thing, and then I eventually learned that, okay, I can eat a lot more food and still maintain my weight. And at that point I really needed to gain weight. And that's when the whole weightlifting thing started. And I enjoyed the weightlifting, but not like the running, the running just, I don't know what it did, but it just, it grabbed me and just, it, it won't let go. I well, Chris, absolutely enjoy it. Chris, we got to cut through the bullshit here and just bring this up. Being a roofer, that is one of the toughest jobs on planet Earth. And being a roofer in the American South is even tougher because you're doing a lot of these jobs in August when it is 95 degrees with 90% humidity. You're not in any shade because you're you're on a, you're on a roof. You're you're lifting these heavy shingles. That's a very physical job. And I bet you your body was much more ready to adapt to some intense physical work than say me who has a desk job. These aren't the hands of a working man, Chris. I don't know if you can see these are, these are delicate hands that I do have a paper cut on one of them. And that's about as as hard as my life gets, but there has to be a certain uh, benefit for having a job that is so physically taxing then switching into the ultra world. Most people that do that quick, you know, 50K one month, 50 mile the next month, 100 mile the next month, their body breaks down at some point. But I well, bet you you're, you're, you're just, you're, 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 your body's in incredible physical shape just from what you do for a living. Sure, sure. And I mean, and, and also like my first 100 was the hell hole, which was the, the 100 miler. Yeah. And, it's in the first weekend of June. It's hot. I mean, that's the reason they call it hellhole. Yeah. And, uh, but I felt adapted, even if I wasn't ready, you know, if, if my training wasn't up to par, just being on the roof, being in the heat, you know, and even just the, it's almost like cross training in a way. I mean, yeah. I'm on a roof, I'm, I'm carrying shingles, I'm climbing ladders, you know, I'm on different pitches. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely helped. That's the best training. You should do a a, a video. You should exercise video, Chris. A funny thing is I sent, I actually posted a picture on Facebook. I was on my roof a couple months ago. Um, I say a couple months ago, I was taking out my Christmas lights Yeah. and my roof is, it's pretty pitchy. It's it's hard to walk on. So I I took a picture and I was like, are you really training unless you're doing hill repeats on your roof? (laughs) And it it definitely, I've gained a lot from roofing as far as the ultra ultra running aspect of it i mean it's it's definitely helped oh for sure and you probably like my roof has got it's not a bad pitch but it's got such a pitch where i had to get on there the other day because i wanted to just uh, clean my gutters and i thought i can clean the gutters just by hanging off the side of the roof right yeah. nope yeah. nope <laughs> but i bet you you can do that because you're accustomed to that mm-hmm. massive pitch change and the funny thing is now i roofed for 21 years yeah i recently uh, change jobs. I actually, I work at a desk now uh, there for the computer okay. nine hours a day. So it's a huge change. So I'm hoping I really don't, I guess, get soft from being at a desk for nine hours a day. Um, 
but I'm hoping the 21 years of, of roofing has kind of adapted my body enough to where it won't, it, it'll stay the way it is. Hang on, Chris, you're going to get delicate <laughs> desk hands. That's yeah. <laughs> I've always, I'm, I'm pale skin anyway, Yeah. but I've always had a tan, at least on my arms and legs from being on the roof. And yeah. now I noticed, you know, all the tan is, is going completely, <laughs> you know, I'm back to being pale skin on a hundred percent of my body. So. But I bet, no, I bet your hands, I bet you have working man's hands still because my dad it was a floor installer for over 40 years and that was that's what he did for a living and he had the biggest hands of any man i've ever met in my life but they were calloused and they're still thick mitts they rip a man in half you know i bet you you're never going to lose those no matter how much lotion you put on your hands absolutely the funny thing is i work at a a marine corps air station okay so i had to do a lot of fingerprinting was involved yeah well they couldn't get my fingerprints at first just because of <laughs> roofing for so many years. They're completely gone. You know, so it took a little while to get in the system and get things worked out. But it work. They think you're some kind of international criminal mastermind because you have no fingerprints. Yeah, absolutely. Really. You know, the lady was like, you know, I don't know what we're going to do because we cannot scan your face. And I explained to her why I don't have any fingerprints. But anyway, we, we made it work. <laughs> so do you think, though, that mentally... You know, a lot of jobs are are, are stressful mentally. I mean, I've got my deadlines and, and such like sure. that. But just do you think that that type of job, that intense physical labor mentally helps you in ultras as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do. And, and not even I mean, being able to, to take the heat for so long and just being exhausted. Yeah. But knowing you still have to perform. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely helped. I mean, it's. You know, because there's men, like you say, in summertime, especially August, you know, it gets to be one, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. You're absolutely exhausted. But, you know, I have to get this job done. So you, you do what you do to get it done. And it's the same thing with ultra running. You know, this last 200 was by far the toughest mentally um, just because it was so cold. Mm-hmm. The ground stayed wet. I mean, it was so being able, you know, being out there and a lot of this race is unsupported. Mm-hmm. So being out there and being so exhausted and knowing you cannot sit down, you can't lay down for very long because you're freezing. You know, it's just you, you have to keep moving. And it was very hard mentally knowing that, listen, I'm exhausted. I just I need a minute just to lay here. Yeah. You know, the rest of my eyes and couldn't do it. You know, and it's just it was it was tough. You know, I'm talking about, you know, you're working and your ultras and all of that stuff. And I so many days I'll have a, a rough day at work and it's, you know, a mentally rough day where it's, you know, hey, I got a lot of deadlines and that sort of thing. And I'm like so exhausted. I don't want to run when I get home. But you kind of had to do that. I mean, you were probably exhausted every day after work, but you still sure. have to go out and run. And the thing, you know, the thing with working any type of construction, you know, we start early mornings. Yeah. Before dark. You know, before daylight, I should say, we start. And so you don't have a lot of times in the mornings to do your running. So a lot of, you know, a lot of my runnings came in the afternoon yeah. when I get off work. But, you know, you're exhausted, and especially summertime, because you're, I don't know if it's, you know, you would think it would be a benefit being in the sun all day. You would be accustomed to it. But then it's almost like, you know, I'm at work, I'm soaking up the sun. And then when I get off, I have to go run in the heat again. Yeah. And it, it, it's tough. Summertime running is, it's tough for me. It's just because I, I feel like I can never recover from the heat mm-hmm. from work. Yeah. 
to really have a decent run. And it's just, but now I don't have, you know, I don't really have those. No, now you're, now you're in a comfy air conditioned office, Chris. You're going to be yeah. like, whoa, man, this is, this is nothing. But yeah, it, it was, it was tough. It was tough at times to, to have to run, especially with ultra running, having to run so many miles, mm-hmm. you know, it got tough. All right. So this is the last question about roofing, but I, I just, I want to know because my dad would always tell me sure. interacting with customers, like, because, you know, there are certain people that really have a respect for tradesmen. And, and I think if you look at a, at a, at a talented tradesperson and you see the way that you know how shingles are going to fall and you know, which is going to go there, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch someone that's very good at what they do. My dad can can make a cut on a piece of flooring with really just an eyeball cut. He doesn't have to measure. When you when you do that for 40 some odd years, you can do just things by looking at it and it lines up perfectly. It's an art. It's beautiful. Not everybody respects the trades though. And he always told me stories about how certain people would interact with him while they were like like putting floors in to someone's house. Like there were times when he was told you cannot use the bathroom here. If you're going to have to use the bathroom while you're working in my house, you're going to have to go across the street to that gas station. What mm-hmm. was the 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 biggest dick move a customer pulled on you while you were putting a roof on their house? Uh, I'll, probably the same thing. I would have to say, because we didn't interact with a lot of customers being we on the roofs. I mean, most yeah. of the time you get there, you let them know that you're there. They go inside, you know never really see him again until the job is completed. But yeah, probably the bathroom thing. Most people will not allow you. And I, I mean, I understand it because, I mean, we're complete strangers, really. Right. Um, well, they would not allow us to go inside. So it's kind of like with ultra running. I mean, you find you a spot somewhere. <laughs> I mean, that's just all you can do because if you're in these, you know, a residential area there's maybe there is no gas stations there's there's nothing around right you're in the country because where i'm from you know if i drive 15 minutes out to do a job there there are no gas stations there's there's nothing there so you do what you have to do because with a residential you know residential houses we're not there long enough to set up porta potties and, and, and right. stuff like that yeah. it, it makes no sense so a lot of times you just you handle your business wherever you can find a spot. What Chris but is yeah, saying, I would be the most thing because I remember we were doing a job and it was in um, a pretty decent sized neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So there were no woods. There wasn't any places you could find. You know, you could not find a spot to go. Yeah. Well, the homeowner was like, "No, you are not allowed in my home to use the restroom." So yeah, I mean that's by far the the worst i mean most of the time the only other things we would get is like homeowners coming out setting up a chair and just kind of watching us the whole time (laughs) you know which is it's just aggravating because i mean we know what we're doing but (laughs) evidently they do too are you sure you're cutting that right i don't know if you're laying the shingles right and so, but uh, the bathroom by far. Bathroom. Okay, please, everybody listening, if you have a, a, a tradesperson working on your home, don't be that twat that doesn't let them use the restroom. Let them use the restroom for Pete's sake. They are doing a service. You are like, don't, no one's getting, you know, basically, if you don't let Chris use the restroom, he's going to poop in your yard. I mean, when nature calls, nature calls. Hey, you got, I, it's, you got to, you have no choice. <laughs> 
I mean, if you have woods, I mean, you know, we can find woods or a tree, but it, just, it is what it is. But, you know, in the homeowner's defense, bad as it is, a lot of construction workers, they're not always the best of people. Okay. I mean, it, it just, there's, there's a lot of habits when it comes to construction workers. And so I can get a homeowner being, you know, a little hesitant about letting people in their home. So I get it. I get it. But not all of us are that way. Right. You know, we had a crew where we didn't allow any type of habits, you know, no drug yeah, habits. Right. Um, we were respectful. Same thing with cursing and stuff on somebody's home. You know, they can hear what we say when we're on top of the roof. But they're inside. They can hear what we're saying. So we would always try to be polite and respectful to the homeowner. But I get it from their point of view, knowing that, okay, I don't know who these people are. And like I said, a lot of construction workers have habits. They're known to not be the best of people. Not all of them, but but it's, it's kind of known. So I get it. I, I get it. So the first time you were running with somebody in the woods and nature called, you were probably like an old pro. Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, I I had, you know, it wasn't it wasn't anything that I had to adapt to or get used to. I mean, it was it was natural. It was natural. For me. Right. It was probably your friend was like, OK, Chris, well, here's what we usually do. We step up and. And you're done. And you're like, well, yeah, I, yeah. as a roofer for 20 years, I, I know how to shit in the woods. And I'm pretty efficient with it. I'm, I'm, you know, it doesn't take me a lot of time because I know what I'm doing. I've done it before. I'm experienced. So, yeah, sure. It's- <laughs> experienced roofer, experienced shitter. <laughs> and that's another thing that comes from the job. You know, you, you kind of get the toughness from the roofing and, and adapting to the heat. But it's also going to the bathroom. I mean, now I'm not wasting time in the woods. We're mulch running because I'm <laughs> kind of you know, adapted to that as well. All right. So all of that out of the way, we got those bases covered. Let's yeah. talk about this triple crown of 200s out in the beast coast. Um, you said they all take, they all take place in the Francis uh, Marion national forest. Mm-hmm. And what state is that in? South Carolina. Okay. So South Carolina, all these take place in South Carolina. When did you first become aware of these races? Well, my first 100 was on the same same course. Right. Okay. Um, basically, Chad Halfa, which is with Eagle Endurance, mm-hmm. he offers a $30 a month club. So you can join his club, pay $30 a month, and you can run any of his races um, throughout the year. Yeah. So it's a great deal because, I mean, if, you know, he doesn't offer it's Most of his races are long-distance races. So yeah. for somebody like me who enjoys the 100-plus-mile stuff, it's a lot cheaper for me to pay him $30 a month and run whatever race I want to run. Um, and then he started is a couple of years ago. He started with this whole triple crown thing. And, yeah. Um, I never really, I never really thought much of it because the first 100 I ran, there's only two people ever completed that race. So, you know, going into that race, thinking about finishing all three, I, I didn't, I didn't think of it much. But once I finished the first one, and technically that's supposed to be the hardest one because it's in June, right? And it's so hot. I said, "Well, you know, if if I want to finish all three, then I, I need, of course, I need to do it now." Um, so you're saying, so hang course, on, we got we got to stop and go back a second, Chris. So you're talking about the hellhole race, right? The 212 yeah. mile hellhole. Only two people have ever finished that. Yes, and now, you're. I mean, Granted, you got to, now I'm the third person. Okay. So I'm, the third, I'm the third. But it's also not a huge race. I mean, you're not getting like what you would at Moab. You know, you get hundreds of participants. I mean, it's not like that. Um, 
you only may get, you know, it's under 10 per year. Yeah. You know, that you get. So it's not a whole lot of people running the race, but there's some, you know, some really good ultra runners who have ran attempted the race. Um, so, but yes, Karen Jackson and Nathan Dewey are the two finishers, you know, besides myself. So, so Chris, what about Hellhole? attracted you i mean was it the fact that only two people had finished it before that made you go like okay i'm gonna give this one a shot yeah that and like i said that was my first 100 and then he also offers a 140 on the same course so yeah i ran the 140 right so it was like a stepping stone you know the 212 was next yeah um but like i say it's known to be a real gritty race it's known to be a hard race he gets Chad actually hangs up all of his um, bib. He will take your bib if you don't finish, if you get a DNF, and yeah. he hangs it up on his wall. Um, and he has tons of, of bibs of people not finishing, not just the 200, but the 100-mile and, and shorter distances. But it's just known to be a really tough, tough race. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing fancy about it. To kind of get into the, the hellhole one, I start on third. I would start on a Thursday. Yeah. At one o'clock. It's all unsupported until Saturday morning. There's nobody. He will come out there and he will start you. And then, of course, I have my crew. Yeah. Which is my wife mm -hmm. and my four-year-old daughter and my dog. And that, that's my crew. They have came to every race I've ever raced, and they crew me on any time I need a crew. That's yeah. my crew. Yeah. It's, it's my wife. Yeah. And she follows me throughout the woods for however many hours it takes. Um, but you start at one o'clock and basically it's, he will have a sign-in sheet um, at where the aid stations will be right. on Saturday. And you just sign your name and you, you continue to go. So at the start, finish, there's nobody there. There's nobody else on the trail. There's nobody around to cheer you on. It's just me and whatever runners may be there. I think there were four other runners and the one in June. But other than that, that, that's it. Wow. So it's just, it's real gritty. It's it's a it's a huge mental challenge. Because like I say, there's no getting to fancy age stations um, where you have people cheering you on. There, there's none of that. It's it's all up to you to be done. Yeah. And, um, and it's, like I said, it's the course. I've ran multiple races on my course, and it's, it's always wet. Yeah. It's always wet. The first seven miles are fairly runnable just a ton of routes um but it is fairly dry and then you will get on a dirt road section which is you know it's runnable and it's nice but then you come to the last four mile section four four and a half mile section and it is shin deep water mud that sucks your shoes off that's no lie it sucks your shoes off and it's just it's so tough getting through those miles um especially later in the race yeah um, and like the one in June, you go through the water, there's snakes in the water. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's snakes, you know, you, you normally see your copperheads and your water moccasins on the trail, kind of on the dry spots. Yeah. Um, you know, they're there and you, you kind of see them, but what I didn't expect, and this was kind of my first year really noticing them, but during the 212, especially at night, you have your lights on. Well, when you when you shine down in the water, there are snakes in the water with you. And I'm not talking. I'm in each loop. I'm talking four a four mile section going through that water. 
and you were talking five, six snakes you may see per loop in the water with you. <laughs> now, now, granted, these are, are just normal water snakes. They're not going to bother you. They will run from you, but they do get decent size. You know, they can get three, four foot. So these are big snakes that's in the water with you. So it's it's just a real gritty, you know, you're in the swamp by yourself three o'clock in the morning. It's just, it's tough mentally, very tough mentally. Wow. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. I think there's a whole nother level of toughness for this beast coast triple crown of Absolutely. 200s when you've got snakes swimming by you and poisonous Absolutely. copperheads on the side of the trail. Holy cow, Chris. That's incredible. Now, do you start so early without any support? Because basically he provides a support for the lesser mile races and you just have to go out early and get it done early. Sure. I mean, I think he does that to allow the cutoffs to be the same time on Sunday or around okay. the same time on Sunday. But yeah, I mean, he, he provides aid for whatever the hundred mile and under distances yeah. on Saturday. He provides, you know, you will have two aid stations per loop. Um, but granted, there's nothing there's nothing fancy about the aid station, and that's the way he likes it. He wants his races to be hard. That's his whole, you know, especially with Hellhole. That's he wants it to be extremely difficult. You know, I want I won't say that he wants you to fail, but he does like taking your bill. Um, <laughs> he, he does get enjoyment out of taking your bill, but it's just that's what he likes. He likes it to be very difficult to complete. But um, so yeah, Thursday. Um, Saturday mornings all once. That's crazy. Another level of difficulty, Chris, throwing it into this this Beast Coast Triple Crown and signing up for a race that only two people, two other people, have finished. I mean, is remarkable. You, you go. You told told us about some of the the, the the you know the situation of snakes and all that, and the, and the trail is just relentless. When you finish that first one, what was it like finishing Hellhole? knowing that, okay, I'm the third person to cross this finish line. Oh, it was awesome because it, it's not – it wasn't even the fact – I mean, it was. It was a fact of finishing. But when I finished the the 212, it, I wasn't destroyed. You know, I felt okay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, you know, that's – you know, knowing that this is a race that only two people have finished, um, how difficult it is, and, and finishing still being, being – okay mentally yeah you know i could think i could think straight and still being i wouldn't say okay physically but uh, enough to where i can you know i can move around i can talk to people after the race you know i wasn't a complete zombie yeah and so yeah it, it was awesome it, it was it was it was amazing i mean it, it's you know it's one thing i've ran a bunch of 100 mile races and but the feeling is it's is so much different finishing a 200 mile um, you know, you, you can't really explain it. I mean, that feeling knowing that, okay, I don't have to run anymore after a hundred miles. It's just, it's, it's, it's so much better after 200 miles knowing that listen, I can stop and, and, and not just the mental break is, is amazing knowing that I can stop mentally. That's what it was for me. I was okay physically, but knowing that I can stop mentally and just enjoy it was, it, it was pretty amazing. What was your finishing time for Hellhole? Uh, the one in June was 67 hours. Okay. A good, a good chunk of time, but man, that's all that, all that alone time and all of that time, especially when you start the race and basically your, your two days of like, all right, guys, 
have fun. I'll see you in two days when their aid will show up. That's that's really incredible when you think about, you know, two and a half days of your life of just grinding out for two and a half days plus. That's 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 so remarkable, Chris. Now, what about the Swamp Fox? What, 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 tell us a little bit about your experience there. All right. The Swamp Fox was, um, I've had terrible experiences on this trail just because of, I ran the hundred mile with 105 mile twice on this trail. Yeah. This, um, just injuries, both times I, I've, I've had an injury and, um, I've been fortunate enough to not obtain a DNF yet, but it's been, you know, there's been times like the last hundred miler that I ran at Swamp Fox, I ended up walking the last, 45 miles because of injury. Yeah. Um, and so I, I it's just, I've had a tough go on this trail. So, you know, I was, I was a little intimidated at the start of the swamp Fox. Um, but actually we had a tropical depression come through. <laughs> um, like the blunt of it was like two days before. And then it was raining when I started from the tropical depression. Yeah. Um, so the trail was, absolutely flooded when i say flooded i mean 60 to 70 percent of this trail was underwater wow Um, and but the difference was like with hellhole even though you don't have as you didn't have as much water hellhole at hellhole it was also mud and so you know you were slipping and sliding and you were falling over and it was you know you would get so much trash and, and mud in your shoes um but with swamp fox even though it was flooded and it was raining it was easy i wouldn't say easy but it you know you could maneuver through the water without dealing with the mud yeah um so overall i had a really really good race at swamp fox um i ended up running because it hellhole i did have pacers come in yeah um, run some in hellhole but i decided at swamp fox i'm going to run the first 150 by myself yeah and so i was all alone for 150 miles which was the second night was pretty tough because the thing with these races are you lose lose all drive to or all fight to to kind of for a finishing time. I mean, you, you kind of just fighting to finish. So all your drive to, to move any faster, even run at that point, yeah. is kind of gone. Yeah. Because, you know, when I started Swamp Fox, I was the only participant um, that started that race. So I didn't have any competitors to, to chase or, or, or either, you know, to be chased by. And it, it, it got hard the second night mentally to just stay motivated to push. Um, but I ended up picking up my pacer, a good buddy of mine, Chris, uh, Chris Powell, yeah. who has been at every, he comes to every long distance run um, or race. And he paces me normally from the last 50 to 75 miles. He's there to pace me. Um, but I ended up having a really good race. And even though conditions were terrible, I finished that one in sub 60. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's basically the same thing. It's a lot of roots, a lot of holes, um, tons of water, but you just didn't have to deal with the mud on this one. And it was a 52 and a half mile out and back. And then you, you repeated it. Um, but had, a, like I said, a really good race. Um, and it was the good thing about it. It was somewhat cold, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like frozen. The one I just did last yeah. weekend. 
it, it was cold enough to where, okay, I put a long sleeve on at night and I was fine. You know, Chris, mental toughness to, to not only do one of these races, but to be the only competitor. There's no one to chase and there's no one chasing you. What kind of mental place did you go to to be able to compete, compete in a race and complete a race? It's over 200 miles long and you're the only participant. You know, that's kind of really the only thing I know because since I've been doing the, the ultra stuff, a lot of it has been, and I've done other races, but a lot of your local races, you don't have a lot of participants. And so that's kind of what I know. Even with the 100-mile stuff, you may have 20, say, 20 participants. Yeah. But when you once you get spread out on this loop or on this out and back – you, you really don't see anybody. Yeah. Um, and the thing about Swamp Fox is the entire race is, is unsupported at, at Swamp Fox. Um, there's no, there's no aids at all. Um, you, you, you know, you just depend on your, your crew. So far as seeing anybody, there's nobody there. And, but that's kind of what I'm used to. And like I said, it got really difficult the second night, but I knew, okay, long, if I can just make it to my pacer at mile 150 then I'll be okay, but it, it gets tough. But like I say, that's just, that's all I know. That's all I'm, that's all I've ever ran is by myself. Chris, we got to get you at a race with actual participants. You'll be like a whole new world for you. You'll be like, wait a minute, there's people I could, Oh, how are you? Well, you know, I've ran, I've ran other races, but like I ran CGG, which is a 155 mile race. Yeah. Um, down the coast of Georgia. But same thing. It was only two participants. Now, it was on road, um, so it was a little easier mentally because at least you go through, you know, different towns and there's gas stations and there's cars. There's stuff to kind of keep you somewhat focused. Um, but the majority of my races, I ran a, a race, um, Farm Days, which is in Savannah. It's a 24-hour race. And, of course, there were participants there, and it was it was great. Yeah. Um, probably the easiest thing i've ever done for as a, a ultra race mentally i'm just like you say there's there's people always there and i think with chad's races that's it's not the toughest terrain i mean like you said there's no elevation chain but just just knowing that you're going to be out there in the swamp and nobody's going to be there it, get, it gets tough it really does do you like being alone or would you consider yourself a loner chris yeah yeah i think so i mean i don't get me wrong i, I mean i enjoy the company but I don't, I don't have any issues or any trouble being by myself. It doesn't, I've never been to that point where I'm like, man, this sucks. You know, I don't, there's nobody here. So I'm going to quit. I just, I, I haven't been quite that low yet. That's just incredible. To, to, I mean, so many people do this sport for the social aspect. You know, they did group sure. runs with the friends and then races, you meet people. And I mean, there's people, uh, Chris, that have done, one race that has had more participants than probably all the races you've ever done combined. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but you know, I told myself that once I got through with the triple crown, you know, I want to venture out and do some, do some, uh, some other stuff. So I, I ended up signing, signing up for Yeti, um, the Yeti 100. Yeah. September. So I, you know, I should have plenty of people around for that one. And then, I'm going back to farm days 
at the end of February and it's, it's a 24 hour. So it's on a loop and there's, you know, there's many people there. And then I'm on the waiting list for ball state. Um, so I don't know if I, I may get into that. I don't know. Um, you're going to do Yeti and you're going to drop out. You're going to be the first DNF at Yeti because of <laughs> other people. You're going to be like, there's just too many damn people on this course. I'm dropping. I, yeah, I, I hope- can't get alone. <laughs> yeah, so I hope not, man. I, just, I, don't, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I, like I said, and, you know, I've, I started, um, I hired a coach after after the um, hell hole in June, and he yeah. tells me the same thing. He said, listen, man, we need to get you in a race to where you have somebody to compete against to keep you motivated because it's tough. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not – it's not hard for me to to finish, I would say, because right. I don't really, I don't ever plan on quitting unless I just I can't meet the cutoff. But it it gets hard to to keep pushing, um, or at least like this last race for me to keep running. I mean, I didn't run a lick the last loop just because I was I felt okay, but just motivation wise, I'm like, you know, listen, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm the only one out here. I have plenty of time to finish, and I'm gonna walk it in, you know. You know, uh, I'm going to give you a quick description to get you ready for for Yeti in September, Chris. Yeti is the exact opposite of all the races you've been doing. I know, I, I know absolutely. That's and that's what my coach tells me. And you know, I've YouTube some stuff, and I'm like, man, this is. And I look at the participants, and I think there's like 300 participants. Uh huh. Like you say that one race is is has more participants than I've in all of my races combined. Well, and the thing is, it's an out and back, right? It's a double out and back. So you're so going to be seeing it, people sure. constantly. You are going to, yeah. you are going to never be alone. You are going to have like two minutes of alone time that yeah. entire race. <laughs> oh man. I'll tell you what, you're going to have to tell your coach, Chris, you're going to have to, to practice waving and saying hi to yeah. people and being sociable. <laughs> <laughs> So the frozen H three, the final race of the triple crown. Once you got the first one done, you said you started thinking about the triple crown. Once you got the second one done, once you got Swamp Fox done, you're you, that, at that point you're going, okay, I got to go for the triple crown, right? Sure, sure. And I mean, I had it even after finishing the first one. Once I thought about it, I you know that's what that's the reason I ran the second one. I was going to do you know for the triple crown, but. Frozen was by far the the toughest out of the three. Um, even though I've been on that course multiple times, yeah, I've never, of course, I've never ran two hundred miles in the in the winter. And you know, I was hoping for it to be cold. I like the cold weather, yeah. But like I say, I've never been so depleted in that type of weather. Um, and it, it made a huge difference because. The second night, you know, I was I was moving at that point, moving so slow, and and I was exhausted. I was tired. You know, I needed to just lay down for for five ten minutes, yeah. just to catch a nap. I mean, I just needed to get a nap on the trail, and I would be fine. But the problem was, it was wet and it was cold, and I couldn't lay down long enough to get a good enough nap without just shaking from being so cold. Right. Um, and so it was, it was tough. That was by, I mean, there was at times I was in the middle of this loop and I was laying down every mile for a five minute nap, trying to catch up on sleep because that's all I could lay down for without freezing. Wow. Um, and it was, it was very tough mentally for me because I was unable to really catch up on sleep and then 
it's just those last, I ended up, I messed up and I, and I, I shouldn't have done this, but I, I said, this is my last one. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to see how fast I can run. One. Yeah. Um, so I ended up setting the hundred mile course record run into 212, which was a huge mistake. Um, you know, I ended up running 20 hours and 45 minutes, the first 100. Yeah. Um, which is course record for that trail. And then after that, it just went, the last 62 miles were absolutely terrible. Um, I think that last loop, I think I was averaging like 22, 23 minutes per mile. Oh um, man. And it was just, I was done. I mean, like I said, I wasn't in terrible shape physically. It's just mentally I was broken and I was so, so exhausted and so sleepy. It's just, and I got, and like I said earlier with being depleted on that last loop, this is no lie. I had two shirts on and I had three jackets and, and was still shaking every mile of that last loop. Oh man. Because I don't, I just, I could not get warm. And I mean, it was, it was cold and it was wet and, that's just a different it's one thing to be cold but when you're cold and wet it's yeah. just it makes a huge it makes a huge difference oh and it then, does it yeah it makes it the the cold the the wet cold is way less tolerable than a dry cold you know like if it's if it's zero degrees outside but there's no moisture it's it's you know you bundle up you're fine it's that it's that cold it's that wet cold where it's just you just can't get warm yeah, it was tough, man. It was by, like I said, by far the hardest out of the three. I ended up finishing it in uh, sixty-four, like I think sixty-four oh five, something like that. Um, so I finished the first one hundred and twenty hours, and my total time was sixty-four. So, so how many people total have completed the triple crown? If only two people have finished the hellhole two hundred and twelve, are you? Are you? How many people have actually finished the whole triple crown? Yeah, I'm the first one for as a triple crown. Wow. Well, like I say, man, there's not there's not a lot of ton, there's not a ton of people who do it. So it's not like you have you know hundreds of people trying this thing, and I'm the first one. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who can do the same thing. It's just there's not a whole lot of people who who do it. They don't know about it. They haven't heard about it. It's not the it's not the glamorous Instagram uh, triple no, crown of two hundreds. This is no, the, there's no horse, you know, no no rainbows and unicorns and all that stuff. I mean, you, don't, you, don't, you definitely don't get that at, at Chaz races. <laughs> if if uh, if Candace's uh, triple crown out west is Instagram, the triple crown in the Beast Coast would be MySpace. That's how no, I would compare. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, not, it's no way in comparison, man. It's, it's like I said, it's one of those. You know, it, it's more of a mental game than it is physical by far. Yeah. I mean. And it's, it's, it's tough. And that's kind of, I mean, that's what I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy the the gritty, you know, where you have to really fight mentally to get it done. And it was, you know, it was tough, man. It, it really was. That last one, it, it, but you know how it is. I mean, I was, I was ready to be done with ultra running on that last loop, but now, you know, I'm back running and looking forward to my next race. You're like, I'm, this is stupid. Why did I ever decide to do this? I quit. I'm going to take up triathlon. You know, I was, I, I told my pacer, I said, man, I am, all I could think about was getting in my camper and, and just getting warm. I mean, that's, that's all I could think about the whole last loop. Cause it was just so, I mean, you know, I had my jackets up over my mouth, trying yeah. to breathe into my jacket, some hot air and just, oh, it was terrible. Wow. Um, Chris, you might be the expert in mental toughness. 
So if I'm going to have the expert in mental toughness on the podcast, I think you have to give everybody some tips. Like how can how can people mentally toughen up? What would you recommend? What would be good training, Chris, to mentally toughen up from the king of Beast Coast mental toughness? Oh, wow. Hmm. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I guess you can go take a career up in roofing, but <laughs> um, I don't know, man. That's just, I don't, I don't do anything different than what anybody else does as far as training is concerned. You know, the only thing that I do that I would say um, most people don't, and I'm sure some people do, but like I'm very family oriented. So I don't, I don't like to spend a lot of time training because it takes so much you know, during family time, cause yeah. it takes too much away from my, my family time. So like my long runs on weekends, you know, most people, they start their long runs, you know, I don't know, daylight or whatever, seven, eight o'clock AM yeah. where, you know, for this race, um, even though I've been on this trail multiple times, the training, what I would do is on Sunday mornings, I would get up before 2 AM. I would leave my house at 2 30 AM mm-hmm to be at the trail at 4 a.m. And that's when I would start my long runs. That way I can get home during the day and, and you know, spend time with my family. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if maybe it possibly that would help if, if maybe doing, you know, trying to get up early and, and, and force yourself getting up and, and maybe that would help somewhat mentally. Um, but other than that, man, I don't do anything any different than what, what a normal person does. I mean, so I don't, I don't know really. <laughs> Well, I think you're being a little modest, and that's okay, because, I mean, you've done something no one else has done before. Now, granted, there hasn't been thousands of people to try this, but still, it's an impressive feat to do to do these races. What goes through your mind? I mean, do you, do you have a mantra? Do you tell yourself something when the going gets rough that kind of turns you around mentally, or is it just... No, man, I just, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't want a DNF. That's all it boils down to. I don't want to take a DNF. That's my whole thing. I, I don't, you know, I train hard for these races. Um, you know, I put in the work for for all of my races. And I figure if I'm going to put in the work and, and take away, you know, family time, that I need to do whatever I need to do to finish this race. Um, that's probably not the best way to look at it because, you know, I've pushed through some pretty pretty severe severe injuries, but and that's the way my brain works. I don't, I don't want to take a DNF. Huh. Absolutely incredible. What do you get, Chris, for finishing the trip, the Beast Coast Triple Crown? What is the trophy for this thing? I don't know, to be honest with you, because <laughs> he, did, he did say he was going to get me something. But, but like I say, even with the finisher awards, there's nothing special with Chad's races. You don't get anything. Now, what he will do is on his 100-mile-plus finishers, he will get you a custom buckle that has your name and your time stamped on the back of it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you don't get fancy awards. You don't get, there's nothing fancy that you get. So, I mean, and it, it never has been that way. I mean, you may get, he may make you, you know, like this custom plaque Yeah. for finishing first, second or third, but other than that, you don't, I mean, that's it. You don't, congratulations and that's it okay i think we need to get you a shirt chris that says i finished the beast coast triple crown of 200s and all i got was this lousy t-shirt yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, and no disrespect for chad because i mean that's i think 
the, I think he's part of the reason why I'm so tough mentally. Yeah. It's because from the start of ultra running for me, that's all I've ever known. Yeah. Is you have to be tough mentally to finish his races. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm glad he's like that. You know, I really am. I'm glad he's the type that doesn't, he doesn't give you, he, he will give you a pat on the back. Congratulations. And, and that's it. That's all you get. Okay. So Chad, we've learned, sorry, Chris, we've learned that you're the toughest man on the beast coast. <laughs> what is the least tough thing about you? Like, like everyone thinks you're probably, you know, tough as nails, but after a long run, you, you like to, to, to soak in the tub with the, with some bubble bath a glass of wine and listen to Kenny G. Is that like what you do? Uh, no, pro- I would say if, if anything, it would have to be, I have, have this, <laughs> I have this, my, my little girl, she's four and she mm-hmm. loves Elmo. Yeah. Right. So, and my house always stays freezing cold, cold for whatever reason, my wife, she just likes it. It's always cold in here. <laughs> So I would say probably I have this Elmo onesie. <laughs> that's, that's what I enjoy getting in and relaxing is just Elmo onesie. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that would, that was, that's probably the, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Got, like you said, it's got the, you know, the hoodie and all on it. And it's just, Oh, it's Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, that is absolutely fantastic. An incredible story of grit and determination. Thank you for 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 jibber jabbering with me yeah, on this episode of the Adventure man, Jogger. We don't have Elmo onesies, by the way, uh, at adventurejogger.com, but we do have Adventure Jogger joggers, t-shirts, hats, but no Elmo hoodies quite yet. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 